Um, welcome to another episode um, of the Wamadai podcast, and I'm privileged um, to be joined by Wamboy Camiro Colomo, um, a dear friend. Actually, we were talking we we're talking before the show, and we've actually known each other around ten years. Um, you know, we met at the IHUB, and Wamboy is you know is an interesting artist um, in the sense that she does. Um, you know, I mean, things differently. She tends to, like, explore, um, you know, art, you know, in an, you know, in an abstract way. I mean, this is coming from someone who writes <laughs> and, um, you know, spoken word and that kind of thing. Um, but I think um, the project that I can remember um, is one she did about... Um, uh, the Mau Mau, I think it was a it was a remembrance, you know, sort of sort of like trying, you know, trying to sort of, to, you know, to sort of um, remind us, you know, about the Mau Mau, the women, um, you know, and all those struggles. And I'm happy that she's here. And obviously, we're going to unpack, you know, her creative journey, how where she started from, etc. But before that, Wambo, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Wambo, as you already said. <laughs> Yeah. Um, it's interesting that yes, we were talking about um, when, how we met. I asked you, how did we meet? And um, you mentioned that it might have been through iHub. Uh, yeah. I started off. I've done very many things in my life, and yeah. one of them was being a techie. Um, and so I think I met you when you were a poet, and you met me when I was a techie. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I mean that that's a that that's really cool. And. When did the transition, you know, from that, from being a techie, you know, to, to this, to this happen? Or how did, I mean, how did your creative, um, you know, journey start? I have always been creative. Um, the problem is that I have not always had the support to be creative. Um, I remember when I was a teenager and I was asked what I wanted to be, I said I wanted to be a photographer. And my mom made a joke about it. She said, oh, you end up being like one of those guys that Yaya who stands there and is like, well, ksk, 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 can you forget pizza? <laughs> and, yeah. and that kind of killed my dreams of becoming a photographer, but it yeah. did not kill my dreams of becoming an artist. Um, and I did a roundabout, a roundabout way of getting to be an artist because I had to prove that I could get a, a degree that would have been my fallback, fallback plan. So my plan B. What was the degree? So my first degree was one that I created, actually. Um, I joined a university that was research-based, and so I created my degree in development studies with a focus on women in the developing world and media studies. Interesting. Yeah. And then mm -hmm. proceeded to then do mm -hmm. my master's in history. Yeah. And then came back to Kenya, um, started to dabble in art. One day I met Kakunju Kaiwa at Kuwana Trust, he convinced me to get a studio at Kuwana Trust. I applied, I got in. Um, and because art at that point was not paying for my bills, I had to get work doing other things. So I worked at IHUB as a researcher. Um, and then I also worked at uh, ICRAF, the World Agroforestry Center. How about uh, that? <laughs> <laughs> as, uh, as their media officer. Yeah. And then eventually I just took the leap and decided I'm going to do art full-time mm. and got into my studio at Corner Trust and pursued that. Um, how, 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 how do you think your degree has, has sort of like informed your creative work? Because 
when when I think about it now, I mean, I see very many parallels uh, between your creative work and what what you actually studied. So, it's it's interesting because it's it feels like looking back at my life, it feels like what I the, the experiences that I had, the the research, um, the the focus on women um, in the developing world, the focus on Kenyan history specifically between 1948 and 1956. All of these have informed what my artwork is now. So the ability to do research, to question, to write, to dream, to map out a particular project, that applies to my current artwork. So I do something called installation artwork. And, you know, I've been told before that maybe I should find a new name for it because it goes beyond just being a simple installation. And my work takes about a year or so to create. But it's more about writing, about thinking, about questioning, about moving pieces around. And I always say that the easiest part is putting the show together. The hardest part is moving from the grand idea and stripping down all the necessary parts and then putting it into a way that other people can understand. And that takes a while. That's interesting. But a year? Why a year? Because I have to do research. Yeah, okay. Um, I need to be able to present whatever abstract idea that I want to present in a way that, yes, as you're saying, it's abstract or conceptual in my case. Yes. But you would be able to understand it if you just walked off the street. You would have your experience about it in a way that you can relate it to your own life. Yeah. Um, But in in another way that you can also still relate with it like everybody else was in that space. So there is the individual aspect of my audience, and then there's the collective aspect of my audience. And it takes a year or so to develop the material so that what I'm feeding you is factual yeah. um, and is true to what is my identity or is true to what my idea is. That's interesting. And why conceptual art? Why, sorry, why, um, you know, I mean, art installations and not anything else? Well, to be honest, I'm a terrible painter. And it's taken me some time to actually develop that craft. Um, I started off by doing paintings. And then I would get frustrated because whatever I wanted to express could not be expressed on a 2D surface. And so uh, at the time, the director of Corner Trust was Sylvia Gishia, and she suggested I look into installation work. I do installation work because I want to involve three senses at minimum and I love the idea of memory so part of my master's degree was looking at memory and violence how we remember um, in uh, events um, especially events that are related to violent activity and so I like looking at how people remember and I love digging into experiences that will pull you from your memory and place you within that particular space and create a new memory which you can't really do, I don't feel I can do sufficiently on a 2D surface. That's true. Yeah. And, um, and, and also tell us um, you know, about some of your installations um, and, um, and also maybe what was your inspiration? Wh- what is the inspiration you know, for the various um, you know, art installations that you've uh, been so able to do? I have, when I say it takes about a year, it's a year collectively if I if I were to put all the, t- the moments that I spent on particular projects together. Yeah. I have a notebook, and in my notebook, I have several projects running. And so 
most of the inspiration comes from what's happening in our world at current, yeah. um, what's happening in my life. Yeah. Um, it also may come from questions raised in conversations with other people. Mm-hmm. So I, I like social media for a couple of things. I tend to find myself being more of a passive, um, passive audience because I enjoy watching what people are talking about and how they're talking about it. Yeah. And a lot of times I get my ideas from that, from people's interactions. Um, I also get my ideas from interactions with people one-on-one. Yeah. Like this conversation might breed an idea or might, might add to something that I'm currently working on. Uh-huh. So, um, and so the, the whatever, um, you know, tell us about like some of the okay. installations. So I have, I have done all sorts of works. I like to focus on history, on yeah. colonialism, on womanhood, on something I'm calling online disidentity, which is mm. how we present ourselves when we're in a space where we can control yeah. what we present about ourselves. That's interesting. Um, and so I have done work called Harambe 63 that focused on the idea of Pan-Africanism and where that came from and how it filtered through the continent to the rest of the world and how yeah. we are united by the simple principle of the fight against the oppression of black and colored people. Yeah. And then I did another installation called Akili Ninuele. And I smile because yeah. uh, the, the piece itself was questioning ideals we have of beauty with relation to um, wearing weaves yeah. and wigs yeah. and the fact that the hair belongs to somebody else before it comes to you and what that means for you and your own perception of yourself. And in the process of that, I found out that in Nairobi, we don't waste anything when it comes to hair. So the first iteration is, you know, you buy this weave, it's expensive, and you put it and you use it maybe one, two, three times. And then it's resold to somebody else who reweaves it with other parts that have been collected from other hair weaves. And by the end of the process, it ends up being the stuffing of cushions and couches. So, I that. <laughs> <laughs> so I found that pretty interesting. And I, yeah. I, I think the piece itself actually does speak to the resilience of Kenyans and the, the hustle that we have just by virtue of the process by which this hair travels. Did you take into account the fact that some people actually have their weaves stolen? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's like there's, there's a whole microculture around yeah. hair weave. Yeah. Um, and then I presented the piece and it was hair yeah. woven into a carpet. Uh. And the idea was to get people to see just how detached it could be. Yeah. Like how we have, we have presented this level of identity or ownership to this material that is, you know, it, it's lifeless. And if you come across it as a carpet, you don't want to touch it. Yeah. But if you come across it on someone's hair, it's acceptable. Yeah. That, and that, uh, That's like interesting. And I, I kind of like watching my audience yeah. in the artwork. So I usually stand in the corner and watch what, how people interact with the work yeah. as well. Uh, my, my art installations allow people to move things around yeah. and it creates a new work in that way. Yeah. You know, I, I felt that um, in general that your, that your work, you know, serves to remind us of maybe, you know, things we've forgotten 
or things um, you know that happened before us, mm -hmm. etc. But also you're talking about you know sort of um, creating a creating a space where where people can think about something, but in another way. Yeah. Is that is that um, is that on purpose or is it um, you know it's just like a part of um, this is how I wanted to present my work, and then you know, actually now this is how people are, are feeling about it, or or me as an outsider, this is what I can see. But actually, you know, what what you maybe meant um, was you know was something else. Um, I I like people thinking about things differently. Mm. Um, I think in my undergraduate degree. I was lucky that the university I went to was research-based, and therefore you had the, the space to question. And I think if you have a space to question, then you have a space to think about what could be, and hopefully that thing that could be is better than what is. So I believe if you can create spaces where people feel safe enough to explore an idea, yeah. it can inspire them for something better. Yeah. So my works are about thinking. My works are about presenting an idea and forcing you to challenge yourself. And I don't think as, um, as a society we challenge ourselves sufficiently. And I think it's, um, it's the fault of the A44 system. I studied, um, I did the A44 system, I did the American system, I did the British system. And by far, the A44 system is the one where you have the least space to challenge. Mm and you have the least space to innovate yeah. because it's you, you, the answers are presented to you and you take it as it is. Yet, at the same time, the A44 system prepares you uh, for the world in a way that none of the other um, types of schooling do, yeah. in that there is a breadth of knowledge and there is a work ethic that's expected of you. Yeah. Where, like the American system, they pick you pick what you want to specialize in. So you specialize quite early and you deep dive into that. Mm. And the British system just felt very general. So I would like to see more opportunities to challenge what we have accepted. We already have a good uh, basic um, foundation through the 844 system. That's the work ethic. So if we challenge our thought and we come up with an idea, are we willing to push that thought? We have the capacity to. As a nation, we do. We understand what it means to work hard. Um, and we have the capacity to because the A4 system has taught us to expand our thinking and look at things from different subject, subject forms, but not to question. Yeah. And that's the one aspect that's missing. Is it... Isn't it by design, though? If you think about if you think about how you know our country, you know our country came to be, and then after, you know what has happened, all the all all the all the people who've been in power and the governance style that they've had, and if you look at in all these, you know, if you are a dissident, you know what happens to you. I know during the Kibaki time it was it, it was a bit better, but if you look at if you look at you know Moi times Kenyatta's time and Kenyatta too, it hasn't been you know it hasn't it hasn't been easy if you're a dissident. So for me, I just think that um, it was created to be like this. 
I, I don't would, know how I you would feel. venture to say that it's probably not really related to a government system. I think it's a system of education that was created for industrialization. Mm -hmm. So at that time, the idea was you need to pull yourself up from being an agricultural society mm -hmm. to being an industrial society, and you yeah. need to be robotic. Mm. These are the tools. Mm. These are the learnings. These are the answers. Don't question. Yeah. There's a process. It's been tested. It works. Yeah. Then it happened to fit into a particular system of government, which yeah. at the time was authoritarian rule. Yeah. So you don't question. Yeah. So they went hand in hand perfectly. Yeah. But I don't actually think that it was a system of government that created the 844 system to be what it was. I think the system found the 844 system as it was and utilized that. Mm. Um, and I think we've got to a point in our society now where we need to break out from that. We have seen that being robotic does, doesn't do much for innovation. It doesn't do much for uh, growth. It doesn't yeah. do much for inclusivity. Yeah. And, um, and I think we need a more holistic system of education, of interaction. And I think that's why, for me, the arts and culture um, industry are so important, specifically the arts sector. Yeah. Because in those spaces, that's where the questioning happens. What comes to mind is in the 70s and 80s, it was considered insane to be an artist. Artists were people who were crazy. Um, and, you know, if your child was an artist, then they were relegated to the deep darkness of forget, for, forgetting them, you know. Yeah. And so... It's only in the more recent years where the value of artists has begun to be seen. In the 70s and 80s, it was important to label artists as crazy because they were questioning. Yeah. And if you can label them as crazy, then you know not to listen to what they're questioning. True. And if you're an oppressive system of government, that works for you. So art kind of drew itself into the background and was the reserve of... Um, white gallerists who sold the artwork to um, international buyers. And so there's a chunk of Kenyan history that actually is missing because the collections are not available locally. I think the, the only, there's only two collections that I can, three collections that I can think of, and that's the Joseph Murumbi collection, that's the, the collection at the National Museum, and more recently I discovered that the um, KCB has got part of that collection from that period of time. Yeah. A lot of the work that was created in that time was sold off in Austria, in Germany, in the US, in Canada, and you will find like whole floors dedicated to particular artists, particular Kenyan artists. Yeah. But because we did not allow for questioning here, because we had uh, artists, writers, poets going into exile and artists creating in darkness. A lot of them, yeah. Um, then we, we've, quite, we've, we've, we've lost an aspect of ourselves that would have allowed us some growth when mm. it comes to how we imagined what we would be like today. But that's, <clears throat> and that's interesting, and it brings so many questions around um, you know, the value of art and what can be done um, to support art in Kenya. First of all, we don't support art. We invest in art. Yes, 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 the investment. Actually, invest investment, in yes, 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 yeah. yes. I remember, um, I remember about uh, two, three weeks back, um, you know, Art Cafe, um, you know, wanted to pay people with exposure. So 
and those people are actually going to do work. So yes, you're actually right. It's actually investment in that. Yes, but go on with your comment. Because I, I'm always concerned when people say to support art. The, the art industry is currently coming out of a season which was heavily funded by donors. So heavily uh, founded along particular agendas, whether it was um, democracy or voting elections or uh, FGM or women's rights, those particular agendas drove a a, a chunk of what art was created um, from, say, the the mid-90s to the early 2000s or so. And so when we say support art, it makes it seem as if artists are not working, that they're not making money out of their work, and so you need to support them so they can continue to do this thing that has got no economic value. And when you relegate artists to a place where they have got no economic value, then they've got no say in policy making, they've got no say in thought, they've got no say in anything except that they're begging, they've got begging bowls. And you strip the dignity of that form of work, which is important work. For an artist to create an artwork, there is thought that goes through that. And I was having a conversation with a friend of mine, actually, yesterday, Giuliani, and we were talking about how the artist industry, whether it's being a musician or being a, a fine artist, is presented as needing support. And what that means for, um, for the development of an economic backing behind that or the policies that are needed to drive that. And... When I say we need to invest in artwork, it means you need to put your money into artwork. Artists have spent their lives fighting. Like the same way that I said with my mom, she thought that you know I'd end up being at the corner of Yaya and yelling at people to come and stand to, and take pictures. To be an artist is to challenge the status quo, just by the very essence of saying, this is what I'm going to do with my life. To choose to... Um, not necess- to to forego immediate success is is, uh, is is quite something, and so what that needs is not support. It needs investment, and mm. investment means that there is faith in the fact that what this person is producing is important, and it adds to society as we know it. So it has value. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what are the challenges? Um, what are the challenges? I mean, other than you know the lack of support, for, you know, from the art industry uh, for the art industry. What other challenges have you encountered um, in your creative life? What challenges have I encountered in my creative line? Um, space. Space is a big one. Um, I would ideally love to see uh, more more spaces for artists to create work, because. Okay, there's something called patient capital, which would be investment in an idea, not to gain the profit immediately, but for it to grow. And I think there needs to be patient capital where it concerns artist spaces. The one thing as an artist that you always need is space to create. Rent prices in this city are ridiculous. Astronomical. Astronomical. And if you're, you're, what you're making is not going to make you money in the next month, and you're not exactly sure when it's going to make you money, then thinking about getting a space to create is it, limiting. First, what will happen is you'll get a small space. You may work from your bedroom which limits what you can do, what, what materials you can use. Because some of these materials are toxic. 
Yeah. So paints um, are toxic. Um, and then if you want to do sculpture, you don't exactly have space. So that means that even what you'll create will be small. True. And it will be li- your, your imagination is limited by the space that you have. Mm. And it's not that we don't have spaces in this city. And I keep pointing to these empty office spaces that people are looking for tenants for. If those were converted, even if it's for a temporary amount of time into um, art studios, that would make a significant shift in the art industry. I also, I also, I also think that the fact that um, you know art and craft is no longer being taught in school, I also think that you know that is a problem, especially for people that are coming up um, and and people that will dis- will discover the artistic side maybe later, you know, and not sooner, because I feel that. When you're given space as an artist, space, my opinion, doesn't necessarily, doesn't necessarily have to be an actual physical space, but it's just that opportunity to sort of like, you know, be able to like work that particular part of your brain so that you discover that you actually have this. Do you think, um, you know, that there needs to be a bit more um, space or other a focus um, on creativity as, um, you know, as something that is important in the school system. So, it's it's interesting that you say that art and art and craft is no longer being taught in schools. I think with the new curriculum, there is a reintroduction of art and and craft. Now, you mean CBC? Yeah, with CBC. What I question is the quality of what is going to be taught. Because there's, you know, can you teach, um, can you teach pottery, for example? Um, let me see. I'm trying to look for the best example of how there. There's, okay, there's definitely going to be disparities on how arts and craft is taught in major cities versus how it is taught in rural areas. Oh, is, yeah. First of all, do you have enough art teachers? Are you willing to pay specifically for art teachers if you are in a rural area and your choice is between an art teacher and a science teacher? Um, and then the, the other thing is, it has enough research been done around art in the country so that our examples are localized examples as opposed to uh, examples yeah. like Picasso and Van Gogh and et cetera, et cetera. It's yeah. great to know about that, but case, yeah. the other part that needs to happen here is we need to... Um, I guess, put our artwork into classifications in a way that can be studied, um, in a way that curriculum can be developed from. Um, so can, can art be studied in university, art history? Can an art history be studied in university? Um, and then can that inform content that will be taught to children from an early stage? Um, there's so much around it that important structures that are missing that and this is why i keep saying what we need is not support but investment, investment in these structures yeah. also i feel that maybe we need also like an like an archive of kenyan art you know from when we knew ourselves to now because um if you're going to teach this K 
kids, if you're going to teach people in university, people are going to learn these things. I think we need like a proper archive of all the artists, all the artwork we can find, so that we 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 create an, a sort of like encyclopedia that we can always try and you know we can always try and refer to. And I feel also the classification is important because then we can say so these people create this type of art. We can even come up with stuff the same way. I feel that music music is progressing in the sense that we have Gengeton. Yes. We used to have Kapuka and all these things and then all you bangers and whatever. I mean, there are all these classifications. Even, and and even, fine art is the exact same way. There are yeah. classifications that are based on style. Yeah. If you look at a particular period of artwork, you will notice in, in Kenyan art, you'll notice that people were using drip work and ink work mm. in that particular period of time or they were mm. using prints. Mm. So it's possible to put Kenyan art into schools. Now, you, when you talk about an archive, the archive that we need is a National Art Gallery. True. And that has been in the books since Joseph Murumbi was, I think he was vice president at the time. That's a long time ago. And we have the land that was allocated. Yeah. And then we've got a whole bunch of issues about whether that land was allocated appropriately or whether it is valueless to have a national art gallery. Mm. And then finally, we're at the point now where actually the Ministry of Arts, Sports and Culture is looking at building this um, this national art gallery. Uh, uh, yeah. And if the national art gallery exists, and that's the archive you're looking for, and I, I, I say we have three major collections that are available to us to tap into, and they're amazing collections. And that's not to say as well that we cannot bring collections that are abroad for show here. Yeah. But the problem is, first, we need the space. True. And and like you said, I think space, I think space is really, really important. And... If you think about it, so if I'm, I'm an artist, I'm just starting out, I would really love to see what, you know, what those people came before me, you know, did. And then, it, it you know, and not just, you know, the 90s, the 2000s, etc. Yeah. I would really love to see what people are doing in the 60s, what people are doing in the 70s, 80s. But you know what, for that, we need people who study art. Also. And for that to happen, people also. need to understand the value of art in order to get the researchers who will dedicate their lives yeah. to studying Kenyan art. Google has got an interesting project when it comes to archiving. So they started off by trying to put uh, together like a, a history of Kenyan artwork. And then I'm not sure where that process is, but you can access some of that I've online. seen it, yeah. Um But we... there. What I would like to see is uh, private partnerships with, say, government around uh, building the National Gallery, because mm. in other countries, that's actually how it happens. You have the National Gallery, but then True. you've got private sponsorship to build it. Yeah. Sort of uh, like what happened with the Kenya National Theatre. Exactly. That's what I, what I wanted to say, yeah. because EAB, EABL did that as part yeah. of their CSR, and they spent quite a bit of money, and yeah. it's really nice. It's really nice. Yeah. And it's also the acceptance that, unfortunately, it may not generate a large uh, income yeah. you may just break even yeah. but that's what, it ha what happens world over yeah. that does not necessarily make I mean we can't keep looking at things as value in relation to money yeah. we need to look at things as value in relation to the input they give to society true 
So if we are able to say challenge and challenge in an open space and challenge intelligently, what it means is that when we come to work, we're able to innovate. Yeah. So if we're able to innovate, then we're able to grow and build and we're able to generate income. So it's the input is the ability to challenge, which would come through arts and culture. It would also be the idea of an identity so that you are not shaken when yeah. someone questions you. Yeah. You have confidence because you know who you are. True. And that can only come from arts and culture. That can only come from being able to identify yourself to something that roots you. And arts and culture can provide that. Arts and culture, um, in my opinion, is a fantastic foundation. Um, and I feel that it's something that we need to sort of like inculcate not only in school, but I don't know, as part of our culture. Yeah. Um, you mentioned investment um, in, um, in, you know, in the arts as a thing that can really help, you know, propel this industry to the next level. What, what other thing, in your opinion, would um, make this sector better, would make artists start out better, uh, be better created. So a couple of things are needed as well, other than just the investment in the space and in the learning. Uh, schools. So Ugandan artists are quite advanced with their painting skills, as are Ethiopian artists, but that's because they have established schools of art. So there's the school in Makerere, uh, there is in Addis, there is the, the uh, art school, and we don't have that here. Mm. What we have here is the school in Buruburu. A Buruburu Institute of Fine Arts. Yes, Bifa. Um, but that can only hold so much. True. So we need learning to happen, not just from an early age. Art is not just for children. It is also for adults. Adults as well. And so it should be treated in the same way that you get technical skill to do IT. Mm. And you get technical skill to do artwork. As well. As well. Um, so that's one thing. The other thing that we need is a National Arts Council. So National Arts Council would be able to um, run the National Gallery, would be able to run um, biennales, which would be showcases for artwork. It would inform policy. So, for example, paint is very expensive in this country, and it's very expensive because it's treated like a luxury item. Yeah. How as a painter, am I going to be able to sell artwork at a price that's affordable if I need to recoup my costs yeah. that I've put in through buying the paint? Um, so taxation is an issue where it comes to the raw materials that create the artwork. Um, so a National Arts Council would be able to support, and in this case, support the growth mm -hmm. of the arts industry mm -hmm. in this country. So the Arts Council, I mean, how would that look like? And do you think the Arts Council also would help push the agenda for the um, National Gallery? Yeah. So the National Arts Council would, would lobby. The National Arts Council would be something that's housed at the Ministry of Arts and Culture. And it would be a selection, it would be chaired... It would be to be run by uh, industry experts, but also by uh, a selected few artists. And they would then be able to dictate, say, if there needs to be a budgetary allocation from um, government that relates to going to Venice Biennale, for example. 
or if there needs to be changes made to the curriculum um, where it concerns you know, uh, the allocation of teachers to Mandera because you know, they've noticed that in Mandera the, the arts students are not receiving what they need to receive. Mm -hmm. The National Arts Council would work similar to how you have KEPSA but it would be gov government-based. Mm -hmm. And some of the seats should also be reserved for the private sector because the private sector plays a key role in developing arts Indeed, in a society. Yeah. 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 What do you see as a future um, of, of the art sector um, in Kenya? And, and what, what, um, what specific things would you, would you, would you like to see uh, going forward? So Kenyan art is in a very interesting place right now. It's, um, it's at the cusp of explosion. And I, I would say the cusp of, I think, a third explosion because it has, it has risen and fallen over time. Mm. And in this third wave, you have uh, the advent of social media mm. and you have the fact that buyers are no longer held by gallerists buyers can come directly to your page and buy directly from you. I think we are likely to see a faster growth in the industry, but particularly in non-traditional forms of artwork. So not necessarily in painting, but more towards digital artwork. Um, and that, there's a bit of concern about that for me because then it means we might not have created a proper base when it comes to traditional forms of artwork. Um, but at the same time, I think it's a leapfrogging because the rest of the world is heading towards digital artwork. Anyway, yeah. But the rest of the world also has a whole base that's related to, you know, sculptures like, yeah. you know, Michelangelo's and Da Vinci's work. Yeah. So they have a history and identity related to that. Yeah. Um, and I see more involvement from corporates. I mean, what Art Cafe did, and I applaud them for doing it, was want to step into the realm of artwork. Yeah. Now, whether they did that correctly or not, that's the question. Yeah. And I said that my issue with it was that it was not sustainable or impactful, how yeah. they had chosen to come into it. But I applauded them for trying to take the step in. Yeah. And I, 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 I want to see more corporates getting involved. KCB, I am quite proud of. Because KCB, like I mentioned, has got that collection from around the 70s and recently acquired a whole amount of artwork from the 90s to the 2000s yeah. and currently they have about 180 individual new art pieces yeah. so that's a big deal that's amazing yeah yeah, yeah. also uh, java has been buying art um from uh, various artists yeah. uh, you know for quite a while yeah and all their all their outlets have you know, at least one painting from someone. So that's that's really fantastic. And actually, and many Java other, Java yeah. has got one of the largest collections of artwork by an artist called Jimna Kimani. Yes. And uh, it started off with just Jimna's work, and then eventually ventured into artwork from Ugandan artists as well. As well, yeah. We need to see more of that happen. True. Because because the fact that we don't have a national art gallery where purchases can be made to the national art collection, yeah. which is something else that needs to happen. Yeah. Um, corporates can step in and create those collections because if they don't, what will happen is what happened in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. Art disappears yeah. because once it's out of the 
artist studio, you never see it again. It's enjoyed by other people. Never be enjoyed by Kenyans unless they go out and go see the artwork. True. Um, you, you talked about digital um, and art, and it's quite interesting what has been happening. I've, I, I see very many young artists who just paint stuff, take a picture, put it on Instagram, they sell it. Yeah. In that way, um, you know, don't you think that um, it obviously creates, um, you know, obvious, a, a market uh, for some people that it exists, but also it creates an access problem for people who, who are not able to afford um, to be online or they, they, they live in areas that, um, that don't have internet. You know, what, what are your so thoughts? So there is a part of art buying that's related to education. And that education comes from galleries and it comes from auctions and it comes from the National Art Gallery as well because they determine which artworks are going to be the ones of the greater value, um, which artworks they want to identify a society with. So whether artists who are not online can access markets, they still can because they're still the traditional ways of doing so. What needs to happen is moving artwork from Nairobi being the center of artwork. Mm -hmm. So there needs to be ways in which if I'm an artist in um, Kitale, yeah. I still have an avenue and access to market. And that can only happen again with a strong National Arts Council that would then be able to form art centers in different areas and allow those artists access to the center in this way. Interesting. So tell us where, where we can find your art, um, you know, where, when, you know, the next um, installation. Um, are, you, are you going to do something digital now? We are in this COVID time. Oh, so my gosh. Now. So Corona has done me dirty significantly. <laughs> I had two shows planned for this year. Yeah. And galleries are obviously closed because they're public spaces. Mm. Um, one, I created some new work, two new types of work, which one is available on one off gallery's website. Okay. And that's related to this Corona. Can you time. remember the, the website? I, I, I can't. No, it's fine. It I'll, I'll, we'll find it and then I can head. put it, yeah. I can put it in the description. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I'll actually send you the direct link to okay. that particular work. Mm. Um, and then I also recently put work into, uh, an online show in Lagos. Mm -hmm. So we'll see how that comes, comes through. Okay. Um, if things change where it concerns accessing public spaces, I hopefully have a show in January, mm, which should have been done in July. Uh, and I had another show planned for March. So that should year. also roll over into next year as well. Okay. Can you talk about can you can you talk a bit about about the work or is sure. it going to be a surprise? So the, the work in for March was work related to how the the white male gaze on women's black bodies, mm. which should have been timely for this period of time. True, actually. true. Just yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just realized that. Yeah, it's uh, true. And it's it's the first time I'm working on works on paper exclusively, oh, so that God. is going to be shown through one-off gallery. Mm -hmm. 
I have some new work which I have been creating around grief and the mm. experience of grief mm -hmm. and how it relates to us as a society. Um, knowing what I have just been through in my last couple of years or so course, uh, yeah. with the loss of my husband. Mm. The work is rooted in that, yeah. but it also talks about grief in general mm -hmm. and how we, how we experience it, yeah. how we move through it. Yeah. So that work was supposed to be for July, yeah. but will now be for next year. True. But I think because, especially because of how this year has gone, um, you know, and how people have suffered losing their loved one, DTC, um, I think it's, it's, it's also going to be very timely. Um, I, I agree, because there's also not just the loss of loved ones, but also the, the loss of plans. Yes. The loss of dreams, yes. the loss of uh, income. Yeah. There, we... Globally, we are going to go through a period of grieving. Once this um, part of, of corona is gone, globally, we will go through a period of mourning. Mm. Um, and yeah, and I think the work, you're even beginning to see that with current artwork, where mm. there's more to, a push towards grief, quite true. interestingly. That's true. Um, do you have any? Do you have any of your work um, online? Yes, my work is available on my website, wamboekamero.com. Okay. Um, and unfortunately, pictures don't do justice to installations, true, but true. at least there's some sort of idea about what the spaces look like. Too fantastic. And are there are there are there plans? Are there plans to sort of like take? whatever you do, but now, you know, film it and then have a sort of like a 360 degrees um, interaction or other thing online that people can be able to interact with. That's not a bad idea at all. Yeah. Um, I think that's something I can definitely consider for the next show. Yeah. Um, but I, I like the fact that my works are temporary. Yeah. You Blink, you miss it. That's it. Um, I, 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 I like leaving people with the memory of a work. Yeah. And that goes back to my interest in how we remember. But this, this one, though, um, the Who We Are one, um, you actually did a book. I actually, I actually bought the book. <laughs> Thank you. Thank yes, you I actually bought the book. book so yeah. I, I, I mean, I read it almost every year. It's, it's actually quite interesting. So, so maybe that's, that's the kind of thing I mean, where you have some sort of like archive that after the installation, someone can be able, someone can be able to sort of like interact with with the work because I feel that even even though I was there, yeah. it's always like a nice surprise to always be reminded about how what you are thinking, you know, and 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 you know, and also, you know, what I was seeing. Yeah. You know, so it's um I, I think it's quite interesting to sort of like think about how you can archive in Maybe, okay, maybe not always in a book, but yeah. like... in some sort of form that's tangible. Yeah. Uh, who I Am, Who We Are was a really fun project. Um, we got to travel to yeah. Isiolo, yeah. Lamu, uh, Isili. Mm. We also did some work around Diamond Plaza. Mm. Um, and as you can see by the selection of places, and uh, we also went to Kisumu mm. and we went to Njeri. Yeah. But the selection of places we were targeting particular... Um, ethnic groups or races yeah. or particular social classes yeah. and it was interesting to hear what people had to say about being Kenyan and these are questions that we're still raising even today and this goes back to the creation of an identity yeah. which can only be done through arts and culture True. so we spent that I think it was two years we spent two years 
just doing that, talking to people about who they were. Yeah. And it was interesting to hear people say, because out of about 1,500 respondents, only three said that Kenya belongs to them. Yeah. I think that's telling. And Kenya really only started to make sense to us as something to be proud of, courtesy of somebody called Alfred Mutua and his Najivunia campaign. Before Najivunia, Kenya was something distant. So by simply saying to us that, you know, I have a band and I wear it and these are the colors that I bleed, yeah. or by simply saying this is what it means to be Kenyan, he created a culture. Yeah. And it's something that I feel we should have continued. Mm -hmm. And currently our state of feeling helpless and frustrated yeah. is related to the lack of a united identity. Yeah. Um, so you, you talked about earlier, you actually talked about how you, you take around a year um, to create your work. And then for this particular project that you've talked about, you said it took you two years. Yeah. So how do you fund your work? So the Who I Am, Who We Are was funded by a couple of donors. Yeah. Um, and it was greatly supported by the government through the National Museum as well. How do I make money as an installation artist? I make money in a couple of ways. Some of the pieces in the artwork are sellable. So mm -hmm. for example, with Harambe 63, the gumboots are sellable. So somebody would buy a piece of that installation. Yeah. Ideally, we would get to a place in society where someone can purchase a whole installation as happens in the UK or in the US and other parts of the world. Yeah. Um, in which case then I would make money by selling the whole work yeah. and somebody would have the right to give it to a museum to yeah. put up. And they, you know, what they get is the pride of the fact that they own this particular installation by this particular artist, artist yeah. which they paid for. Yeah. The other way is by speaking engagements. Yeah. Um, it's by being commissioned to create new work. So being paid yeah. to say work around a particular theme or yeah. to present my existing work at yeah. a particular museum. Um, another way would be through uh, merchandise that spins off. So for example, I'm considering posters that are related to Hamrami 63. Um, of the superheroes. That would be, be cool. Yeah. yeah um, so there the are different ways to make money. Okay. And I'm of the thought that as an artist, you should not go into raising cows to make as your side hustle. Yeah. You need to find your side hustle within the artwork that you do. True. That's very true. Um, so thank you for the amazing conversation. I feel that as far as um, this conversation and as far as your work and your ideas about the, the the creative sector in Kenya, I feel that we can talk about we can talk about it like forever and ever, yeah. you know, but I feel that we need to stop there and thank you so, thank so you. very much. We have a lot to edit. You know? <laughs> Thank you so much. No, we're, pro we're probably just, just going to just let the conversation flow, but I'm really, really, really happy that you came and for the amazing conversation. Thank you so much. And I'm glad you started what you're starting. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so, so much. And thank you for, for the support, yeah. you know, always. Um, also, thank you to, um, you know, Dana Seda, uh, Baraza Lab and Sema Box for making this podcast possible. Um, thank you so much for listening. See you next week.